If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn in them to Genesis chapter 1 again with me this morning. Genesis chapter 1. Last week, we considered together how the existence of God can give peace and comfort to our souls. Uh, we saw that in verse 1, by, by noticing that God was and that God is and that God will always be. Now we are going to continue to find comfort for our souls by studying verses 1 to 25 of Genesis chapter 1. And so please read along with me. If you don't have a Bible, the the word will be up on the screen. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that he were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and the trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw 
that it was good. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Not many of us in this room would claim to be brilliant philosophers in life. Most of us don't naturally think really big and expansive philosophical thoughts, but many of us do ask philosophical questions about life, but just in more subtle ways. In fact, most of us ask philosophical questions about why we exist all the time. These are called existential questions. If you're not familiar with the word existential, it simply has to do with the reasons for why we exist. And we have all had these questions at one time or another. We've all asked questions like, where did I come from? Why do I exist? Or what is the purpose of my life? Listen, we may not all be as brilliant as many of the greatest philosophers in the world, but we can all relate to the insightful questions that they ask. For instance, we cannot all have their brilliant minds but we can all relate to the deep questions that are asked by some of the greatest philosophers of all time, Calvin and Hobbes. See, two of the greatest philosophers that this world has ever known. For instance, who of us can't relate to how small Calvin feels in this moment? He's standing under the night sky looking at the expanse, feeling very small, and then feels led to shout, I am significant! And then when the deafening silence is all that answers, he walks away and says, screamed the dust speck. In that moment, Calvin is looking around at the world and the galaxies that surround him, and he can't help but feel small and insignificant, but he wants to find meaning and significance for his life. Or how about this moment when Calvin and Hobbes are walking down the sidewalk and Calvin has this insightful thought. He says, let's say life is the square of the sidewalk. We're born at this crack and we die at that crack. Now we find ourselves somewhere inside the square and in the process of walking out of the square. Suddenly we realize our time in here is fleeting. Is our quick experience here pointless? Does anything we say or do here really matter? Have we done anything important? Have we been happy? Have we made the most of these precious few moments? And then Calvin and Hobbes stand with those bewildering thoughts until night falls. Calvin and Hobbes are searching for the reason for why they exist. They're haunted by the brevity of life and they know that their time on this earth, no matter how short or long, needs to be of some significance. They want it to be. And friends, we can all be the same way, can't we? We can all ask the same questions. Why do we exist? Why are we here? What's the point of life? Why do we get up and go to work on Monday morning? Why do we have relationships? Why do we care about things? So many people in our day are having their own different forms of, of, of an existential crisis. The college student over the next couple weeks is going to learn from their biology class that this world doesn't have an ultimate purpose, apparently, and that's a very bewildering thought. The recent graduate from college who finally lands their career and starts their career but then finds out that it's not as satisfying as they hope, that's a very disorienting thing. The 35-year-old dude who is financially stable and who has a decent life, but who's tired of church and who has tried every other thing imaginable to make him happy. That's a, a concerning place to be, a confusing place to be. 
the mom or the dad who's just tired, tired of, of caring for their kids, and they wonder if all their intentionality as parents is even worth it. doesn't matter. The widow or the widower or the divorcee who has lost their spouse and doesn't know what life should look like from that point forward. The retired couple whose kids and grandkids don't seem to have any time for them anymore, and so they don't know how to spend the rest of their time on this earth. We all have existential questions, church. We all wonder, why are we here, and what are we called to? Well, folks, Genesis chapter 1 can help us with this. Genesis chapter 1 is written in a way to orient our hearts and our souls towards certain eternal truths that have the ability to anchor our souls throughout this life. What we learn about in this chapter has the ability to answer our many existential questions. Genesis chapter 1 can clarify why we are alive and what we are called to be and to do. In fact, that's the very simple main idea for our message this morning. The Word of God clarifies the reason for why we exist. The Word of God clarifies the reason for why we exist. And we will gain this clarity about why we exist when we notice three things about God's Word in Genesis chapter 1. Point number one, His Word has power to create. Point number two, his word has authority to dictate. And point number three, his word is used to lovingly communicate. Those are our three points. Let's begin with the first one. Point number one, his word has power to create. We, we see this immediately in verses one and two and then in all that follows as well. We, we noticed last week how, how universal God's creative power is. When it says that he created the heavens and the earth in verse 1, it's making a statement that God has created everything. Nothing exists except through him. Nothing exists apart from his creative power. And then in verse 3, we begin to see how God expresses that creative power. He speaks. He uses his words and God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said. His word has power to create. Friends, listen, as the church, as God's created people, this should amaze us. If, when you study Genesis chapter 1, you should stand in awe of God's sovereign creative power. If you've ever tried to create anything, you should definitely be in awe of this. I don't know about you, but, but I'm not a very creative guy myself, but, but here's what I knew. When I do try to create something, the amount of effort that is required, the amount of additional material that I need is ridiculous. Uh, it takes all kinds of effort on my part. I don't think I remember a house project requiring less than like 57 trips to Home Depot. It's ridiculous. You just go back over and over and over again. That's how bad it is. I, I become like on a first name basis with the entire Home Depot staff when I'm in the middle of a project. But that's not the way that it is with God. No, his word has the power to create. He needs no one or no thing to assist him in the work. He is the start of all things. It all comes from him. But now, church, it would be valuable for us to talk about the process of creation this morning. 
Beginning in verse 3, God speaks, and light and waters and land and creatures and sun and moon all come into existence. And listen, there is no argument within Christianity as to whether this world was created by God or not. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you, you must believe that God is the catalyst. God is the start for all of creation. If you allow there to be anything else in the beginning with God, well, then God loses the autonomy and the independence that Scripture says that He has. Whatever else existed at the beginning with God would then rival God's sovereign power. But that's not the case. Scripture tells us in unequivocal terms that God alone did this work and He did it out of nothing. There was nothing else before God spoke the world into existence. But that does not mean that there is not some disagreement and discussion on some of the details. As you likely know, there, there are many different perspectives, even within Orthodox Christianity, on how Genesis 1 actually happened. And I want to take a few minutes to talk about this on a, on a, on a high level for us today. As you likely know, within Christianity, there are old earth creationists and new or young earth creationists. These are two different camps within Christianity who believe in a different age of the world because they believe in a different process that the world was created through. And so let's look at both of these together very briefly. Let's, let's look first at the young earth creationists. These are Christians who believe that this world was created in a literal seven days. So, so they see throughout Genesis 1, the, the rhythm of there being an evening and a morning on the first day and on the second day and the third day. And they see that as a literal 24-hour period of time. And they, they see the absence of anything in Genesis 1 that speaks to an extended process as more evidence for this literal interpretation. And so they believe that this world is likely somewhere between 10,000 and, and 20,000 years old. And they land on that age range by, by following the timeline of Scripture backwards and, and tracking the different genealogies throughout Scripture, which enables us, in a sense, to kind of pile genealogies on genealogies, kind of estimating the age range, and, and so we can get an idea of how far it would go back. Now, when it comes to how old this earth appears to be, or how to explain the evidence for things like, like dinosaurs, most young earth creationists say that, number one, God created a very mature-looking earth, that, that just like Adam wasn't created as a baby but as a, as a grown, mature man, this world was created in a mature-looking way as well. And then number two, they would look at the global flood in Genesis chapter 6 to 8 as the point when this world aged significantly and when creatures like the dinosaurs became extinct. So, so these are the young earth creationists. And, and young earth creationists often have a lot of, of conviction and a burden about how anything other than this literal interpretation of Scripture, they believe it's to, to give too much authority and credence to science over the Word of God. And that's a very valuable concern on their part. And so they often oppose any perspective that says that this earth is older than that or that this world came to existence through God allowing a more lengthy process to happen. Okay, that's the young earth creationists. Second, let's look at the old earth creationists. The old earth creationists land on the side of this world being much, much older than 10 to 20,000 years old. 
And, and there are really two positions within the perspective. There, there are more than that. There's the, uh, the gap theory, that there's a significant gap between verses 1 and 2, and then verse 3. That's one theory, but it's not one of the primary ones. Uh, there's the day-age theory, which suggests that the days that we see spoken of in Genesis chapter 1 are not literal 24-hour days, but are figurative for much longer but set periods of time during which God created all of these things. And so they don't believe that the, the evening and the morning rhythms of Genesis chapter 1 are a little tw- literal 24 hours, but are simply figurative for much longer set periods of time. The older or the other old earth position uh, is that the days in Genesis chapter 1 actually don't have anything to do with time, but they are more a literary device given by God to show how he, he organized the stages of, of creation. So, so both of these are old earth positions, but they find different ways of explaining the references to the days in, in Genesis chapter 1. And within their perspective... The old earth creationist suggests that the earth is actually more like 4.5 billion to 15 billion years old, and therefore God could have sovereignly chosen to speak a very intentional process of evolution into existence that took a very long period of time and that explains the age of this earth. Now, we have to pause in our discussion of the old earth perspective to say something about what is not possible in this perspective according to scripture. There are many Bible-believing Christians who hold to an old earth position. It's very, very valid. And, and they believe that God has sovereignly spoke some form of evolution into existence and that, and, and that is fine. That's a, a very valid perspective. However, we need to note that it is not a viable option as a Christian to believe in a traditional deistic evolution. Deistic evolution is basically uh, complete adherence to or complete agreement with Darwinian evolution, but just with God causing the start of the evolutionary process to begin. And so deistic evolution does not believe that God was actively involved in creation, but rather that he just kind of started it and then a bunch of random matter happened to occur and happened to create this world that we live in, but it could have ended any number of different ways. Church, that, that's wrong. We can't believe that. Scripture paints a very different picture than that. God might have chosen some evolutionary process, but it was not random. And he certainly was not detached from the process. No. Scripture, particularly Genesis 1, speaks of a far more uh, intentional process than that. God is active in all of creation. Okay? Those are the different perspectives. But there's nothing in Scripture, to be completely honest with you, that gives us the ability to know for sure whether the young earth or the old earth creationists are right. Both are valid positions to hold. But here's the point. God's Word has the power to create. Whether it took seven days or it happened over 15 billion years, He did the work. God was present throughout the entire work. His finger is on every detail of this work. All of creation testifies to his creative power. And friends, there's, there's, likely, that is, there's likely nothing that is as important as this in Genesis chapter 1, to know that God speaks. He's a God who communicates and wills this world into existence. Listen up. A right understanding of this world, 
A right understanding of your existence in this world flows out of this fundamental truth. The fact that God speaks, it begins to answer our existential questions about why we exist and what we are supposed to be and to do. We're alive today by design. God spoke you into existence. We exist because God desires us to be and because in that creation, he has a purpose for us and for this world. He has a goal that all of this is pointing towards. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, his word has authority to dictate. His word has authority to dictate. Have you ever had a job that you were really not needed for? Maybe you were hired as extra help, but then it just was clear that there wasn't enough work to keep you busy. And so after a week or two, you started asking the question, why am I even here? What am I supposed to do with my time? Or maybe at work today or this week, you get called into meetings all the time that nobody has an agenda for, nobody has a purpose for. And so you just sit around wasting each other's time. To not have a purpose, to not have direction is a very frustrating thing. Well, friends, that is not what we see happen within the creation order. We're going to see this even more next week when we look at the creation of humanity in particular. But even in verses 1 to 25, we can see that God's word has the authority to dictate and to direct. And that this authority gives purpose to his creation and to our lives. Notice it with me. Notice how God's word not only creates but also dictates. He not only creates light in verse 3 but he then directs it and separates the light from the darkness. He not only creates water in verse 6, but then he directs it and tells it to separate from other waters and from the land. After God creates living creatures in verse 20, it says that he then blesses them and directs them. It says that he says, be fruitful and multiply. We also see throughout this chapter that God gives names to certain parts of his creation. And in that time, and even today to some degree, to name something speaks of authority and of position. God's power, God's word has power to create, but it also has authority to dictate. And friends, that that makes sense, doesn't it? Creating something inherently involves purpose. We don't don't create things without any purpose, and neither does God. Listen, if if there was no intelligent designer, if this world was just a bunch of matter being randomly formed into different creatures, then then we would have no purpose or no direction, and we could just do whatever we want to do with ourselves and with this world that we live in. It would be survival of the fittest. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But If someone created this world with a purpose and with a very intentional design, then we as the creatures should seek to understand that purpose, both to honor the one who gave it to us and to enjoy what has been given. Let me give a brief illustration of this. Recently, I made uh, a sliding barn door for my wife, Ashley. It was a huge project for me, and as I've mentioned already, I'm not that creative of a guy, so it was a big deal, and it took a lot of time and a lot of effort. I think I went to Home Depot like 1,100 times. It was long, but I did it, and it actually came out pretty good. But I made it with an intentional purpose. There's this large doorway in a house that we wanted to be able to close off at certain points, and so Ashley wanted a beautiful barn door to be able to slide over that space. But how do you think 
I would feel if after making this gift for Ashley, she chose to use it in an entirely different way. If she looked at it and said, oh, Joel, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you for making that for me. And then she ripped it off the track and made it the, the doormat for people to walk on as they came in the door. Or if I looked out this afternoon and saw her using it as a raft in the pool or when it snowed as a sled to slide down the hill. No, that would be terrible. It would be terrible because, number one, that's a dishonor to the one who made it and it ignores my loving intentions and design and that would hurt our, our relationship. But number two, it would be terrible because that barn door would make a horrible doormat and an even worse sled. That's just not what it was created for. I created it with a purpose. And as the creator, I have a a level of authority to say, this is what it's for. And now listen, because this is important. It's actually not unloving for me to dictate the purpose for that door in that way. It's actually a very loving thing for me to do. Why? Well, because it it keeps our relationship strong and because Ashley will be happier if the sliding barn door is actually being used as a sliding barn door. That's what it's best used for. But friends, that's true for us as well and for our lives in this world. And this is another key part to answering our existential questions. It's a key part to understanding why you are alive right now. God's power has God's word has the power to create and the authority to dictate. He has a claim over your life this morning. He has a design for you. He has a specific purpose for your life. And therefore, you will be happiest in life and your relationship with him will be strongest in life when you seek to conform your life to that purpose and to his direction. To ignore it or to go against it is to break relationship and It is to distort why you were created in the first place, and it's actually to steal joy from your own soul. And so, why were we created? What is the God-given direction and purpose for our lives? Well, friends, the God-given purpose and direction, according to his word, is that you and I would live with him and for him. And to do so is to bring him glory, which is the greatest call upon our lives. This is what we're going to see next week when we study the creation of Adam and Eve in a particular way and how God designed them to be in fellowship with him within the Garden of Eden, to live full and productive and happy lives in his presence. Listen, God says in Isaiah chapter 43, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God explicitly states in his word why you exist this morning, to bring him glory. And what does it mean to bring him glory? It means to be happy in him to show that his creation is good as he thinks that it is good, that that his design for our lives is right, that he can be trusted even when things don't make sense. We bring God glory when we make him the center of our existence, when we see him as the creator and as the sustainer and as the savior of this world and as the one who wants relationship with his people. The New City Catechism, which is a great resource for discipleship and and for parents with their kids in particular, the New City Catechism asks this question. How and why 
did God create us? And then it gives us this wonderful answer. God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Brother, why do you exist today? Sister, why are you alive this morning? Teenager, why are you on this planet? Here is why. To make your entire life, your career, your school, your hobbies, your family, your work, your sports, your sleep, your day off, your acts of social justice, your political opinions, your social media presence, your relationship with your neighbors, to make it all a means through which you can experience the goodness of God and his creation as designed. To live in a way that you and others see more of God in your life and in this world. That's why we were created. That's what it means to bring him glory, to make much of him and less of ourselves. Listen, God's word has authority over your life. He is able to dictate. He is able to direct and to claim your time and energy. But his commands are never harsh. His commands will never disappoint. They never do harm. They are always for our good. They're always given in order to bring us into closer fellowship with him, which is what gives us the greatest joy because that's why we were made. And this is key to answering our existential questions. We exist to be happy in him. He is a happy God and he desires us to share in that happiness. But church, we know don't we, from experience, that, that that's not always easy. It's easy to say, but it's not easy to live out and to experience. And we are all painfully aware that we often fail to live out our intended purpose and our intended design from the Lord. And that brings us to our third and to our final point. Point number three, his word is used to lovingly communicate. God's design for our lives is good. His design is, is goodness for us. We can see that throughout this chapter. He uses his words to communicate his heart for us and for this world. He creates each part of creation, and what does it say over and over? He saw that it was good. This is called the approval formula in Genesis chapter 1. We, we see God's approval given to his creation seven times throughout this chapter. Gordon Wenham says in his commentary that this Hebrew word for good is primarily used to draw attention to an object's quality and fitness for its purpose. I love that definition. In, in God's approval of his creation, he is affirming that this world that we live in is suitable to its purpose. It's suitable to bring us some happiness and to give him glory. In his creation of man and woman, in his declaration that we are good, he is declaring the quality of who we are and how he's made us and our suitability to bring him glory. How many of us live on a daily basis saying, I'm not suitable to do great things for God? No, you are. God, God declares it over your life. You are suitable for this relationship that he wants to have with you. Our suitability to know him, to love him, and to live with him. This is who we are by design. 
Notice also how God speaks blessing over his creation in verse 22 and how he blesses Adam and Eve down in verse 28. God's heart is for his creation and for his people in a particular way. God uses his words to lovingly communicate. Christian, take comfort this morning that this is God's design over your life. He has created you. He has spoken direction to you, and he declares that it is good. But if we are all honest, we would have to say that our daily experience in this world is far from the goodness that we see here in Genesis chapter 1. We live in a sin-sick world, don't we? We live in a world that has cancer and Crohn's disease and eating disorders. We live in a world that has broken relationships and divorce, anxiety and depression, anger and abuse. We, we live in a world that has pride and, and prejudice and racial tension. We live in a world that has hurricanes and tornadoes that ruin whole towns at a time. Everything seems to be so broken. Why? Well, because sin has entered in. Sin has entered in and sin has distorted God's good design. What is sin? Well, sin is our rebellion against God. When he created us, God, God gave us the ability to choose. He gave us a free will as to whether to follow him or not to follow him. He didn't make us like robots or little minions that had to do his every word. No, he gave us a choice because he loves relationship with us. But starting with Adam and Eve, we have all chosen our own way apart from him. What, what is sin? Sin is our insistence that we don't want the barn door to be used as a barn door, but we want to use it as a sled. Sin is our insistence that we want to use our lives in this world as we want. That's, that's what sin is. We don't care about God's design and purpose. And so our sin has brought in suffering. Our sin has brought in death. And so here's the question. Has God's good design and good purposes failed? Has evil won the day? Has, has your sin, have your mistakes from this past week stolen your hope of peace? Here's the answer according to God's word. No. No, it hasn't. Because though this world is in sin, nothing has changed in God's heart towards his people. As his words lovingly communicate his heart in Genesis chapter 1, so he continues to lovingly communicate his heart to us today. Why? Because he is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. God was able to declare that the creation was very good in Genesis chapter 1 because even though he knew that sin would come in in Genesis chapter 3, he knew that it was just the beginning of the story and that he was about to launch the greatest rescue mission that has ever been. And so, can we still hear the loving words of God over our lives? God's word says yes. Through the gospel in particular, we hear his words loud and clear. Through the gospel, we see that he will do anything to bring about his good plan in our lives. Anything that he would do anything, even sending his own son to live for us and to die for us in order for you and I as his chosen people to experience this good design. And it's going to happen. 
Friends, life in this world can be so disorienting and so discouraging, can't it? While the gospel is is clear that God has good in store for us, the circumstances of our lives can cause us to forget, to become blind to these truths. The brokenness of this world can cause us to forget why we exist. It can cause us to, to lose sight of God's good plan and his many and great promises over our lives. And church, that is particularly true in our lives and in this world right now in 2020. Redeemer Fellowship, we know that for any number of you in this room, there are many reasons that make your, many things that make your life dis- disorienting and discouraging. We all know that we all need to remember that God's design for our lives is good and not evil, but that's hard to remember during these days. We just so easily forget. We turn our eyes away from it. We lose sight of his promises. And so, this morning as we close, we want to pray. 